2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1. It begins with the words after this, right? But in chapter 19, King Jehoshaphat, what an awesome name, of the southern kingdom of Judah. You remember the nation of Israel is divided at this point. You have the northern kingdom called Israel and the southern kingdom called Judah. The king of the southern kingdom of Judah, his name is Jehoshaphat, and he had just made some very important reforms to the nation, which had been steeped in idolatry and as a result of that injustice. And in chapter 19, he attempted to turn the people's hearts back towards the Lord, and he did this by setting up judges in each of the cities. There was lawlessness. There was idolatry going on. And he commanded these judges in chapter 19, verse 6. You can flip back to there. Uh, you have Second Chronicles. He said, consider carefully what you do. He's, he's commanding these judges. He's placed in these various cities all about. Consider carefully what you do because you are not judging for mere mortals, but for the Lord who is with you wherever, whenever you give a verdict. And now let the fear of the Lord be on you. Judge carefully. For with the Lord your God, there is no injustice or partiality or bribery. <clears throat> Very interesting. So judges were prone to injustice, partiality, and bribery back then. What do you know? And so these men were to help the king rule according to God's law. He was reestablishing leaders in various places, reorganizing the kingdom to get people's hearts focused back on the king. And in addition to the surrounding cities, it says that he also instituted several priests and Levites to judge the city in Jerusalem, the capital of Judah. And he commanded them in verse 9 of chapter 19, you must serve faithfully and wholeheartedly in the fear of the Lord. <clears throat> Excuse me. In every case that comes before you from people who live in the cities, whether bloodshed or concerns of law, commands, decrees, or regulations, you are to warn them not to sin against the Lord, otherwise his wrath will come upon you and your people. Do this, and you will not sin. And he continued in verse 11. Amariah, the chief priest, will be over you in the matter concerning the Lord. And Zebediah, son of Ishmael, the leader of the tribe of Judah, will be over you in the matters concerning the king. And the Levites will serve as officials before you. Act with courage, and may the Lord be with those who do well. <clears throat> so these sweeping reforms in the leadership of the nation of Judah to desired to bring people's hearts and minds back to the worship of God, off of idols, off of injustice, back to worshiping in truth and in spirit. Now, over the past several weeks, we have been exploring the topic of worship. And from Jesus' teaching in John 4 about worshiping in spirit truth to comparing uh, and contrasting uh, King Saul and Abraham in, in their obedience and, and the importance of faith and in, in fear of the Lord and not fear of man, to last week's message about being a living sacrifice in uh, Romans chapter 12 and, and how worship is a choice all these different aspects of, of, of living a life of worship to be a living sacrifice. You know, do we choose to identify with Jesus Christ daily and, and offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, you know, crucified with Christ, dead to a sin, alive to God? Or do we have the habit of climbing off that altar daily and abandoning that 
life of the cross. I don't know about you, but the Lord's been speaking to me about responding to the Spirit's work in my life and to the reforms that I need to put in my own heart, that my heart will be back towards the Lord. And so, one, you know, I just want to share a personal example is, you know, uh, one of the things uh, that King, well, actually King Josephat, he made there in, 19, in chapter 19, it was sweeping reforms. And, and, I, and I pray that as we're going, talking about a life of worship, that we would making, be making those reforms in our own lives, according to spirit and truth, that as the Holy Spirit is speaking things to your heart, and as his word is confirming those things, that we would be responding and saying, yes, Lord, I will change this. No matter how petty it might seem or how difficult the task. And for many of you, you know I struggle with pain. I have fibromyalgia. So one of the things, uh, you know, I think the Lord's been speaking to my wife for years and other things. It's just, uh, for me personally, you know, my intake of soda. Anyone? Yeah. Just. And so, you know, it felt like the Lord was telling me, not you, um, sugar really increases pain in your body, Matt. And so, you know, kind of kind of lay off of that, Matt. I want you to back off of that. I think that's what the Lord's been telling me. And so we've started a process, and, and now his time is like, okay, I'm cutting it off just for me, right? Not for you. This is not legalism. And so I walk into Walmart, and this is what I see. The first day, healthy, whole, uh, sorry, wholesome, healthy, delicious, delicious, delicious. You guys know I'm messed up here. <clears throat> healthy, delicious. They put the soda in the bread rack. I'm like walking by going, okay, Lord, I'm doing it right. And I look to the left, there's this temptation. Don't let the reforms happen in your life. Don't listen to the Lord. Uh, now, you know, we can, you know, what are the odds? But I'm just saying, as soon as we begin to do these changes in our lives, what happens? There's a challenge. There is a challenge. And so, you know, this past week has been difficult. And while it, you know, there might be different issues for different people, when we choose to live a life of worship, we will be challenged. We will be confronted. We will be pushed because it's a life of worship. It's not about soda. It's about my heart responding to the Spirit in my life. Amen? And whatever those areas look like in our lives that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us about, for our benefit, by the way. And so, for some of you, the challenge, you know, might be to raise your hands for the first time in worship. For some of you, because the Lord is telling you, not because of the formality of it, because He's speaking to your heart, abandon to me. Let go. For some of you, it might be a sign of, of obedience or surrender or forgiveness or something that God's working on in our hearts, right? Worship, living a life for our King. It might be giving God your best, as, as he's been talking about. I've not been giving, giving God my best of life. I've been choosing what I want to hold back, and I haven't been giving him my best. For others, it might be you know, forgiving an enemy or someone who's wounded you. The point is that worship is a response. It's a choice. 
to God's word, his, his spirit, it's working, it's, it's responding to the cross and his work in our lives, whatever that looks like, to very minute details. God is very concerned with the minute details of your life as well as the big picture. He's concerned. He wants to possess us. He wants to possess us. So do I choose to become a living sacrifice, letting God call the shots, even about seemingly silly things to me? Does he have our hearts with the small as, as big as the well, uh, as well as the big? Are we living sacrifices, worshiping in spirit and truth, faith, obedience, you know, working hand in hand? Now, if we respond to God's word and we're making these reforms like the king here in 1 Chronicles chapter 19, guess what? You're going to experience a chapter 20. And so, chapter 20, verse 1, after this, after these reforms that are trying to focus people's hearts back on God, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Menuhites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, hey, a vast army is coming up against you from Edom. From the other side of the Dead Sea, it's already in Hezan Termar, that's in Gedi, that's where David used to hide out in the old days. <clears throat> Anyone experienced this this week? As God has been saying something to you, and then all of a sudden a vast army comes up and starts, wow. Now, the army of self, anyone? The army of critics, the army of the enemy, the army of discouragement. Now, for the king, there might not have been a correlation between these reforms and what was happening in his kingdom, the attack. But as we look at Scripture, every single time a person, a country, a nation starts to turn towards God, there is an attack. You see it like in individual circumstances, like Elijah, when he went into Mount Carmel and he obeyed the voice of the Lord and he, and he slaughtered all the prophets of Baal and he had this great victory. And then Jezebel heard about it. And what happened? Kill him. And he ran away. Ah! He ran into the wilderness. He ran to the Mount of the Lord. See that in Joseph. Joseph is finally pulled out of the pit and he's put in Potiphar's house and he starts being a blessing in that house. And what happens? The lady of the house falsely accuses him of, you know, pursuing her. And he gets thrown into prison. When we decide to live lives of worship, when we start to live lives that are glorifying God, bringing honor and glory to God, expect retaliation. Expect attack. And so, this is, we're going to deal today with how we respond. How do we keep worshiping God through adversity? How do we keep worshiping God through spiritual warfare, which we will have? Because that is what the enemy wants to do. He wants to sidetrack you, discourage you, push you, kick you, until you go forget it. I'm surrendering the life. I'm getting back off the altar. It hurts too much. I can't do it. God wants to keep us on that altar. He wants to keep that. He wants us to persevere. And so alarm, it says in verse C, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire the Lord. So what did the king do? This is the question I want to ask us today. What did the king do when he was faced with the challenge to his reforms in worship, his life of worship? When it gets challenged, what did he do? What do we do? And I think this is a great template. So write notes. I'm dictating. Here we go. Come on now. Pick up a pen. It's okay. 
What does the king do? Alarm, Jehoshaphat, verse 3, resolved to inquire of the Lord. He proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. And indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. And then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem and all the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, God of our ancestors, are you not God who is in heaven? What is he doing? First thing he did, first thing he did, he sets himself to seek the Lord. He prays. He prays. He sets a fast. And fasting is, is denying that, that daily nourishment. It's, it's a sign of humility. And, it's, and when Jesus talks about it, don't let everybody know you're fasting. You know, but this was a national fast. God, we are humble before you. You are the answer. We deny ourselves food, you know, call out to him. And, and, and there's this connection that's happening with the Lord nationally, which is beautiful. And it, notice it's led by the leadership. The king, a godly leader, will always resort to prayer first. As you're leading your homes, as you're leading your businesses, as you're leading your children, as you're leading whatever form of influence you have, you go to prayer first. We go to prayer. But how does he pray? And so first point is prayer. Now we're going to go into the subtopics of prayer, okay? What, how does he pray? When the worshiper of God encounters opposition, the very first thing we do is pray, and a godly leader always resorts to prayer first, and he prays, and he fasts. So we begin by fighting against that opposition through prayer, but notice how he prays. It's a great model for us. Lord God, of our ancestors. Are you not God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. What is he focusing on? What is his focus when he begins to pray? The omnipotence of God. You are all powerful, all authority. All these problems are under, you have influence. You have command. And so we begin by putting and remembering his power. So the first P, I'm going to do some P's here just for a minute because I never do that. And I thought, wow, there's some P's there, so let's do it. Power, remembering his power is the first one in prayer, under prayer. Remembering his power. God, you're in heaven. You rule over all the kingdoms and nations. Power and might are in your hand. No one can withstand you. You rock. Now, is this for God's benefit? Oh, yeah, for God. I, I do all that. I am that. It's not never for God's benefit. It's for our benefit. What does it stir up in our hearts when we remember God and who He is? Faith. What is He dealing with? What is the core issue here? And we'll talk about that in a bit. That, he, that they're dealing with fear. So we'll, we'll work that out in a little bit. But power and might are in your hand. No one can withstand you. Verse 7, our God, this is the second part. Did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built a sanctuary in your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword or judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before his temple and it bears your name and will cry out to you in its, and you will hear us and save us. What is he doing there? He's recalling God's promises. 
How many of you keep a journal or a notepad of God's promises? How many of you write down when God has been faithful in a circumstance and, re and remind yourself of what he has done in your life or, or have some kind of memorial, an Ebenezer, so that when tough times come, you, you run to remember his second P promises. His promises for you are what we need to rely on. This is building faith in the heart of the king. So now he can finally address the third P, which is the problem. In the right context, right? The right order. You've got faith going on in your heart. You've got promises of God. Now you're going to tell him the problem in that context. Verse 10. But now here are the, are the men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Sir. You know, we've got Jord the Jordanians come on over, and it's not good. Whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. And so they returned, they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave, gave us for an inheritance. He's given them, you know, the, the petition, the problem, the petition. What's going on? The problem and the petition, actually. And, and, and here's the petition. The petition, the fourth P is petition. And this is what it is. It's telling them exactly what I want you to do. He just explained the problem. Now it's specifically asking God for this solution. How many of you, when you pray, you're specific? God, you are mighty and you're awesome. You've, you've, you've called upon this. You've brought us here to do this. Here's the problem. And here's what I, I, I believe, what I, what I want you to do. And how you do it is up to you. But Lord, verse 12, God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. When you're telling God the problem, be specific. Because I think we deal with anxiety as a culture. Anyone deal with anxiety? What helps relieve anxiety is totally putting it out there. Every single detail, scenario, worry, all the stuff we're dealing with, put it out there before the Lord. Here's my worst fear. We're going to get annihilated. We're all going to die. My children are going to die. It's going to be horrible. Lay it out there. And ask God. God, we want you to come in. We want you, we want you to. Here's our petition. We want you to rescue us. So when we worship God, the first thing we do is we pray. Remembering his power. Recalling his promises. Tell God the problem. And then give God your petition. And lastly, one of my favorite all-time verses we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And I just say, put. Put your eyes on God. Rest in Him. So what happens after we pray? Verse 13, And all the men of Judah, with their wives and their children, their little ones, stood before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord fell upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mattaniah, a Levite, a descendant of Asaph. And as he stood in the assembly, Verse 15, he said, listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all of you who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but it's God's. 
Tomorrow, march out against them. They will be climbing up in the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the edge of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. Jeruel. Verse 17, and you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance of the Lord, of the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will stand with you. So what's after prayer? As God speaks. He speaks. He responds when we pray. Quite often, we don't stop to listen. Amen? Notice, and they stood there before the Lord. How many of us, when we pray, then we just go scurry and do the best we can? Make it a mess of things most of the time. Now, yes, we pray, and there's a time for action. We follow that. And we'll talk about that, hearing the voice of God in these things. But there's a time to just give it a little bit and wait upon the Lord and let him speak to you. Now, the question is, how does God speak? How did God speak? Well, in this case, through a prophet. And I recommend a book called Experiencing God by uh, Henry, Henry and Richard Blackaby. And, I, you know, I don't agree with everything this guy writes. But there is a standard Christian teaching about how God speaks in this book, which I, which I value. And it talks about... Uh, you know how God speaks. He speaks through circumstances. He speaks through the church. He speaks through the word and prayer. And when God speaks, it doesn't contradict the word of God. Amen? And so, uh, really great. Uh, Experiencing God by Henry and Richard Blackaby. Uh, great uh, material for, you know, how do you hear God? My sheep know my voice, Jesus says. How do we hear him? Bible, prayer, circumstances, the church. In this case, God spoke through a prophet. But since I'm a worship guy, I know this drives you guys crazy, but I picked up on this who this guy was that might not have been obvious. It gives us the guy's genealogy. Why does it give us the genealogy? Because the Holy Spirit wants to tell people something about this guy. It says in verse 14, Then the Spirit of the Lord, it, it, it fell upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Benaniah, a Levite of the descendants of Asaph. Who's Asaph? Psalm writer, worship leader, King David's guy, and now a psalm of Asaph. The Spirit of the Lord fell on one of the worship team guys. And we're going to go back, flip back over to First Chronicles, First Chronicles, chapter twenty-five. Several hundred years before, okay? <clears throat> First Chronicles chapter 25. The Bible is awesome, and it gets really detailed and crazy. Everybody back to First Chronicles chapter 25? First Chronicles chapter 25 says, Together, David with the commanders of the army, set apart some of the sons of Asaph, He-Man, this is where He-Man came from, and, <laughs> and Jeduthun, for the ministry of prophesying, accompanied by harps, lyres, and cymbals. So Asaph, He-Man, 
with Haman, but I like Enid. <clears throat> and Jedathan and their sons were prophet musicians. Strange that there are three different worship leaders here. Probably a mystery back then as to why. I wonder why that is. And it's interesting as you, if you have time, to actually go into the Hebrew and find the names of each one, of each one of these guys. I was sitting down going, well, why, what's with these three different groups? And as you go down and you find out the, the Hebrew names of each one of these groups, one kind of has attributes towards the Father, one has attributes towards the Son, one has attributes towards the Spirit. How detailed is God, even in the names of the people who are leading? Tell me this is not a supernatural book. So, strange three different worship leaders, but even stranger still is why, why the army captains were in charge of electing the worship team. You know, deciding who gets to go to Hollywood or not. But uh, why would the military leaders be actively involved in choosing worship team members? We'll find out. And here's the list of the people who formed the service. Verse 2 in First Chronicles chapter 25. From the sons of Asaph, Sakur, Joseph, Nathaniel, and Erelah. Sorry. These sons of Asaph were under the supervision of Asaph who prophesied under the king's supervision. And so it's very likely that years later, this ministry was still continuing, and a word of the Lord came through one of the worship team members, Jehaziel, as they prophesied according to the king. The king said, we need to hear from the Lord. Let's worship. And as they started to worship and sing praises, the Spirit fell upon one of these people, and they had a word from the Lord. Now, although we're not under the old system of worship, we have the body of Christ with people who are gifted in different ways to benefit and edify the body, do we not? And I've seen it in this very room. The Spirit of God, after a time of prayer, after a time of worship, after a time of need, where God falls upon someone and they stand up and say, I will meet that need. God is pressing upon my heart. Or here's a word from the Lord, and they start speaking. Or they exhort, or they edify. Same spirit, folks. In the church, God speaks through his people. Now, none of that should contradict the written word. Amen? And that is our God. That's how we balance what is foolishness versus what is of the Lord's will. So while it might sound weird the way the Lord spoke to this prophet ministering within the gifts that God had given him, I think that when we are in his presence united in the spirit of Christ, the Lord still speaks. And I think God wants to speak through you. I think there are times when God is pressing something upon your heart to be beneficial to the body. Don't deny that. Obviously, you don't blur it out and do that stuff. Talk to one of the elders. I want to see if it's sound. Don't be shy. Notice what the message was when the prophet, the prophet said, said, said back in in Second Chronicles chapter twenty. Uh, oh, really quick, after prayer, God speaks to us through the word. Right? He speaks to us. He responds. He speaks. And that's the second 
main point. But notice what God says. He says, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Don't be afraid or discouraged. And this is when God speaks to us, when he answers, he's going to deal with the core issue first. He does this. And what was the core issue? The core issue was their lack of faith. They were fearful. God's word addresses fear. When the angel pops in the room, do not fear. When Jesus says they're in a situation where they see him, they go, ah, what does he say? Do not fear. He's speaking to their fear. I want you to hear what I have to say. Now, quite often we're, we're wanting to see, hey, God, just take away the circumstance when God wants to speak to the spiritual reality that's going on. And we're going to miss it if our eyes aren't open to what he truly wants to deal with. God keeps saying, don't fear. I don't want to hear that. I want you to take this away so I won't be afraid. No, that's not how God works. I want you to trust in what I say. That's how man works. God's kingdom is different. You trust in what I say. That is where fear is alleviated. That's where anxiety is taken away. It's trusting in me. And he says, listen, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. He's dealing with discouragement and fear. And so God's word addresses that. And if we are focused on the physical, we might miss it. Trust me, I'm here, God says. <clears throat> Why should we trust God? Verse 15, for the battle is not yours, but it's God's. This is the great thing about being in the Lord. If the enemy messes with you, he messes with God. We've got to believe it and trust it. The enemy's messing with you. God is involved. God has a interest in the person that he purchased with his son's precious blood. Quite an investment. You're precious in his eyes. He's there. So God speaks to fear. And then the office reminds us of his involvement, which would be the second one down. No letter scheme here, but involvement. So he speaks to our fear and our faith. And then he speaks to his involvement, his presence. And then in verse 16, he tells us what to do. The word of God tells us what to do. What do we do now? How are we to continue to worship because this fear is taking us away from that? And look what happens. Tomorrow, march out against them in verse 16. They will be climbing up. And I don't know. I don't get this detailed of an answer usually. You know, they'll be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the edge of the gorge in the desert in Zeril. And you will not have to fight this battle, but take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Words that have echoed throughout their life as a nation. But set yourselves to seek the Lord, right? Set yourselves to go, go face them tomorrow. The Lord will be with you. And so God gives instructions through his word. Fasting and praying. He speaks back. And now... The third, point, the third major point is you have to respond. We respond to the Word of God. Do you see the role of prayer in the Word of God here, how it relates to worship? Joseph has heard from the Lord, and now he must respond. How does he respond? Verse 18, And Joseph bowed down his face to the ground, and the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. And then some of the Levites and the Korathites and the Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, the very loud voice. When God speaks to you, how do you respond? Thank you. Praise you. Worship you. Thank you for speaking into my life. Love you. That spirit responds. But we also must respond in what? In truth. There must be action that follows. 
quite often we're we're on one side or the other, you know? <laughs> and so God wants both. Got to obey, verse 20. And how did he respond? How did he do it? Early in the morning. How did Abraham respond? Early in the morning. Right away. This is how people of God respond when God speaks. Right away. They left for the desert of Tekoa. And they set out, verse 20. Josephat stood and he said, Listen to me, Judah and the people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise them for the splendor of his holiness and they went out at the head of the army. Why? Were the officials of the army in charge of choosing the worship leader? There's a spiritual element to it. There's a spiritual battle going on. God's kingdom works differently than man's kingdom. Now, at first glance, to me, it seems like this might be a military tactic, you know? If this thing's fail, we'll know when the music stops, you know? <laughs> Put the singers out in front. <laughs> oh, music stopped. Time to go. God didn't work. No. It was an act of faith. <laughs> right? An act of faith, putting the singers in front of army. And this is why in First Chronicles 25, the leaders of the army helped the selection of the worship teams. Because singing to God is a weapon of war. Praising his name is a weapon of war. Worship is a weapon, just like prayer. Check out verse 22. And as they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Sir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. And it gives more detail about how that is in just a second. But as they worshiped, something supernatural was happening. Anyone? If we could see the scene of this, I have no doubt that we could see massive spiritual battle happening with angels and the forces of, of the enemy. The same is for us. God desires that when we face adversity, when we are challenged by the enemy to just surrender and to get off the cross, to get off the, 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 uh, and to stop being a living sacrifice, when he comes and he threatens us with fearful things and all the various tactics he has, we need to get back up there. We need to start singing to the Lord. Sing with all your heart. Sing because we're weak and he is strong. Sing because the battle is his and we don't have to fight it with carnal weapons. Sing because God is on our side and is able to be for us. If he's for us, who can be against us? That's why we sing. And they sing that day. Give thanks to the Lord for his mercy. His love endures forever. His tender mercies, his loving kindness towards you endures forever. There's nothing that can separate you for that, from that. Nothing, because he said it, you're his. I'm with you in the battle. You cannot see, but I am present. And they sang, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures for her. What faith going out, meeting this army that would devour them. Church becomes singers. Not because of the songs, but because there's a great battle going on around us. And God has given us weapons that the enemy wants to discourage you from using. Do you hear me? 
wants to discourage you from opening up your mouth and praising God on Sunday morning when we gather together because there's a spiritual battle going on. He wants to take that weapon. He wants to take the weapon of prayer away from you. He wants to take the weapon of the word away from you. The things that this world will go, oh, so you need to attack it this way. Our weapons are not carnal. They're not physical, but they're powerful for pulling down the strongholds, the weapons that God's given you, the arsenal. Don't let them take it. Praying in faith, singing in faith, worshiping in spirit and truth. If we remain silent, the enemy gains ground in our lives and our love grows faint. Church, let go of the way it might have always been in your life, in my life, and sing to the Lord a new song. Verse 23, in closing, really, it's really closing. The Ammonites and the Moabites, they rose up against the men from Mount Sir to destroy and annihilate them. What happened? When they began to sing, the enemy turned on itself. The, the Moabites rose up against the men from, the, from Mount Sir to destroy them and annihilate them. And after they finished slaughtering the men from Mount Sir, they helped to destroy one another. When the men of Judah, they finally came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked towards the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. My brothers and sisters, we have a powerful enemy. The greater is he that is in you than that which is in the world. It's time to praise and plunder in the name of our king. It's time to praise and plunder. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder, verse 25, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and the articles of value more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. Wonderful number. And on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Baraka, where they praised the Lord. And this is why it is called the valley of Baraka to this day. You know what Baraka means? It means blessing. It means blessing. God's blessings are found as we live lives of worship. Don't let Satan get out. You know what I mean? Determine in your heart today that you are a living sacrifice. And when opposition comes, and it will come, pray. Seek the will of God. You know, when God will speak, respond, obey, and then enjoy the blessings. This is the victory we have in Christ Jesus. He fights the battles. We get the spoils. I want to have some spoils that he fought for, that he wins. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that your church, Christ Community Fellowship, would continue to grow in our worship of you. That we all would take steps this week to reform our lives. God, while we're discouraged or dismayed at the vast things facing us, I pray that we would not lose heart. I ask, Lord, that you would help the weakest of our brothers and sisters in here have a victorious week in you. I feel like I'm, I'm that person. Lord. Help us to have victory this week. Help us to pray and wait on you and to hear from you as you speak and to worship you and to just respond and let you fight for us. 
Thank you for the blessings you've brought us to, this valley of blessing. Praise you, God. Amen. Then, verse 27, led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem. For the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. We need a cause to rejoice. Again, lift our hearts. And they entered Jerusalem and went, don't put away your stuff, listen. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and trumpets. They continued to worship. Do you see the enemy wanted to derail their worship? God wanted to put them right back on track. They continued worshiping. And listen, this is the end. Verse 29. And the fear of the Lord came upon all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. And here's the kicker. Walla Walla will hear about Jesus when we worship in spirit and truth. Amen? Let's worship God. We are, but let's push more. More of him. Less of Matt. Amen? God bless you. You're dismissed. Next week, Sunday, Easter is upon us. Invite someone to praise the Lord. Amen?